what they call that now, yes. I know, times have changed. Are we? Okay. It's just so hard to tell anymore. Plus, my glasses get little flecks on them. It's sometimes hard to see through them. No? Okay. Oh, when I'm swimming, it's terrible. And then I go to wipe my eyes, and I forget my glasses are there, and I push them into my eye cavity. Ooh. That hurts. Anyways. Anyways. So I'm here today instead of Colin, who's supposed to be taking notes. Is he, is he that short? Is that? Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm going to talk to you about the qualifications for leadership. But I'm not going to do it in a normal way. Because I don't think in a normal way. I've been told. And I tend to agree to a certain degree. Uh, but there are obviously uh, so many things that go into to leadership that, um, you know, quite honestly, people have been studying leadership and trying to develop plans for leadership uh, that, uh, you know, just to find that right fit, uh, the type of people that they're looking for, uh, the, uh, the, the type of uh, tasks that uh, you should perform as a leader, uh, looking to inform themselves as to what type of person uh, can I put in place, should I be pl putting in place, what should I be looking for when I look for, you know, candidates for leadership. Um, it's, not a, it's not a discussion that, that you can actually really get away from if you think about it. Uh, we, even in our regular lives, often run up against those leadership-type qualifications uh, even if we don't realize it. We're being evaluated for how we operate in, uh, in whatever work environment we're in. Um, you know, people will be looking to see if you have those qualities that they're looking for. Uh, we're measured in, in everyday society. Sometimes you see people that uh, just have that air about them and you, you just have the idea that you want to follow them, right? There's just something about the way that they present themselves, uh, the way that they talk about things, the, the actions that they do that just give you a real sense of, you know, this is someone that I would follow. Uh, if they told me to, to go do that, I would definitely do it without questioning. Uh, so leadership is uh, something that, that's all around us, and we're, you know, spending the whole year talking about different things of it, but... Uh, the, the question that comes to mind that I'm going to be trying to answer uh, this month is specifically, what are the qualifications for leadership? Now, of course, we have a more specific lens than just, oh, leadership in general. But quite honestly, if the world uh, took hold of and stayed focused uh, in the same place as we are, uh, we'd all be a lot better off. Um, so... There's a couple of things that I want you to keep in mind as we go through uh, what I'm talking about today. Uh, I want you just to ask yourself uh, a couple of questions, and then I'll have some more questions at the end, but uh, I want you to ask yourselves, uh, what are qualifications for a leader? It's like, well, James, why should I ask myself that? You're supposed to be talking about that today. I understand that. Just please... Uh, think, uh, I want you to think about what your own criteria are, are uh, for the qualifications for leadership. And then I also want you to ask yourself, what do you look for to
to determine if you should follow a leader. It's one thing to say, here are the qualifications for leadership. Uh, you probably even know people in leadership that technically meet the qualifications. It's not the same thing to say that you would follow them. So what is it that you look for to determine if you would follow a leader? Asking yourselves those questions as we go through and we discuss a little bit of different perspective here. Uh, quite honestly, when it comes to uh, leadership, uh, everyone is looking for that person and that particular style that's going to help them to achieve their goal. Uh, everyone is uh, looking for some type of definitive answer because they want to achieve a specific goal, and they're looking for the person that can lead them or help them to achieve that goal. Uh, if you remember uh, last July, I spent a month talking about leadership, not specifically just uh, qualities and qualifications, but uh, all different sorts of, of information uh, as leaders, and we spent most of our time looking specifically in the Bible. But I did mention uh, the, the struggle that the world has gone through, and a couple of different names popped up. Uh, for example, I talked about uh, psychologist Kurt Lewin, and I know right now you're all like, oh yeah, Kurt Lewin, right. And no? Okay. Anyways. So psychologist Kurt Lewin developed his framework in the 1930s, and it provided a foundation uh, for many of the approaches that follow afterwards. He argued that there's basically three styles. The three styles are autocratic. Those are leaders who make decisions without consulting team members, uh, even though their input may be useful. Uh, they, uh, you know, this does have its advantage is when you need to make immediate decisions, right? You don't have time to gather together a council of peers and to talk about things. Um, this is appropriate when you need no input at all and, and you know that everybody's on the, the same page uh, for a successful outcome. However, it can also be demoralizing because then the people that are following you tend to think, oh, well, I have absolutely no say in what's going on. Uh, someone else is making those decisions. I just have to follow along. And it, uh, it takes away some people's feeling of their worth. Then there's also the democratic uh, style. Democratic leaders make the final decisions, but they include team members in the decision making. So they encourage creativity. They encourage people um, to engage in projects and decisions. And as a result, team members tend to have high job satisfaction. They tend to have a high productivity. And... The, the, the only real drawback is that you're not really able to effectively make quick decisions necessarily because you're always looking for input from others. Uh, then you have the, um, the laissez-faire, which is basically whatever goes, right? Uh, leaders give their team members a lot of freedom um, in how they do the work and how they set their deadlines. They provide support, resources, advice, uh, but otherwise, they don't really get involved. Um, this leads to a really high job satisfaction. Uh, this is how a lot of the the uh, you know the tech companies uh, have operated to great success. You can think of like Google, um, other uh, Apple, um, Microsoft. They've all at one point in in time started out with that type of thing. You know, whatever goes as long as we get this accomplished. 
Uh, so they provide, uh, like Google still to this day provides uh, full, full service uh, lunch, dinner, uh, full service laundry. Uh, they even uh, have some people that actually live uh, on campus rent free so that you don't have to worry about those day to day tasks, those mundane things. No, you don't have to worry about uh, are my dishes getting washed? Uh, is my laundry going to get done? Am I going to eat a good meal today? Um, they, and they go all out. I mean, these, they, they hire you know, five-star chefs, uh, so it's not just running to the cafeteria getting the sloppy joes and the cold pizza. It's uh, full, you know, steak, uh, lobster, eggs, you know, whatever they need to make sure that uh, the employees feel that they're taken care of and they don't feel that anxiety, so they're able to just free flow into their work, and they've seen some success in that. Um, so there's... There's those type of things, and again, that's 1930s, Kurt Lewin, psychologist. You have that down. There's going to be a quiz later. No, I'm just kidding. No quizzes. Although we will have discussions over it. Um, so taking those different styles and the things that have come from them, uh, we can ask ourselves, if we look at different styles, if... Um, we look at those and we think, okay, what then would be the qualifications to operate in one of those different styles? Uh, what are the qualifications for someone that's autocratic? Well, obviously, they need to be able to make decisions quickly, so they need to be able to uh, be informed, uh, to, to make uh, the, you know, good use of their time so that they have all the information they need to make those decisions to the best of their ability. Uh, what does it take to be a democratic? Leader. Well, it needs to be someone that's able to be a people pleaser, right? Uh, the, they would embody someone who uh, just brings two people together so that they can all come to one mindset and one agreement so they can work together towards a goal. And then uh, the laissez-faire, what, I don't even know what qualities you would need for that type of leader. Hey, we should do this, maybe. Get around to it. It's fine. I'm not quite sure what that is, but... Um, Here's where we focus specifically on the qualifications then. Taking those different styles into our mindset, uh, thinking about them, uh, you really need to ask yourselves, what are my qualifications for that? And then I would like to turn it around and not just say, what are the qualifications for a leader, but uh, have you ever asked yourself if you're a leader? Have you ever said to yourself, um, well, I, I would like to be a leader. There's, I just, I'm not sure if I'm really qualified to be a leader. So that goes back to one of those first questions that I asked, right? What are the things that you look for in a leader for you to follow? Because that often sets your mindset and sets your tone uh, so that you can make that decision, oh, should I be a leader or should I not? A lot of people come into it and they believe that they're just not qualified, so they never take that step to be a leader. They've got, oh, well, I don't quite meet this qualification, or I don't quite meet you know, that qualification. It's, uh, it's one of those things that we psych ourselves out. We uh, just think that we're not prepared for it. Um, you may be already saying to yourself, I'm not a leader. And I don't know why James is talking to me today. I don't know why, why or how this pertains to me. So I'm just going to sit back and relax and doodle. 
take some notes, maybe catch a little nap or check out my tweets and my, my Instagram. Please don't do that. All right, yeah, get to, get to it, John. I know you're big on that. So, uh, but believe it or not, I have some news for you. Uh, as you sit here in the pews today, you are blessed to be in the presence of future leaders of society. Uh, not just the teenagers, the tweeners, and those of elementary age, or the infants that will grow up to someday rule our world. Uh, to all of you, I say I was always very nice, so please take care of me. Uh, but among you are also people who are called into leadership who have not taken that step of answering it. Uh, those among you who might be either running from that leadership role. Some of you may be waffling. Oh, I should do it or I shouldn't or I should step up or I should not step up. Some of you may be stuck in discovery mode. Oh, I, I want to be a leader, but I'm just not quite ready, so I need to discover those areas that I need to grow in so that I can be ready when the time comes. Um, all of these things are, are just simple avoidance techniques. The role of a leader can be taken regardless of age. The role of a leader can be taken regardless of abilities and regardless of how ready you think you are. The role of a leader isn't really about where you're currently at. And I know this for a fact because I have God's word that shows me how God chooses leaders. And that is the standard that we look for when we look for the qualifications. It's one of the reasons that societies have really struggled throughout the year to try to define it because as we move further and further away from God, we try to find and substitute those things that we think are appropriate. Or better yet, we see people who are successful leaders in one way or the other, and instead of focusing on the core of why it is that they're a successful leader, we just throw up that checkbox and start checking off different things that they do that must mean well, if they're doing them and they're a successful leader, therefore, if I copy these things and check off those boxes, I'll be a successful leader. Or if I put people into place that have that type of experience or do that type of thing, then I will have a leader that I can follow. That's just not true. It doesn't follow through because we're missing that one core piece. This is something... I'm sure that you've experienced, because I know I've experienced it my whole life. When I started working in retail at the age of 14, I experienced time and time again people coming in and being placed into management or leader positions. And you know, they had some boxes checked, uh, by and large, uh, in the, well, let's see, 7 plus A is 15 plus... So in my 20 years of retail experience, uh, 15 of which was management myself, I was passed over time and time again for any promotion opportunities as a leader, not because of me personally, but because those went to people who were in college programs for business management. Time and time again, when a position would come open, someone would just appear that you had never seen before. The only qualification that you know of is 
They were able to dress themselves in the appropriate colors. You were told that they are a college graduate and they have a degree in business management or they have a degree this way or that way or the other thing. But lo and behold, you were teaching them all the different aspects of the job that, they, that you were working. You were training them to do everything that you would normally do because they had absolutely no knowledge of your work environment and your skill set and the things that were necessary in order to succeed. But this is a business model that you see even outside of retail that continues uh, to happen even to this day. Because the way that we think about leadership is we're going to put up this list and I'm going to send that out to everybody and say, hey, do you need a job? Do you want to be a leader? Do you want to come join us and work for a successful company? If you do, send us a paper that says everything that you're supposed to do. Everything that you've done, all the experiences that you have, and if it matches up to these set criteria, you might just have a place within my organization. We'll be able to do beautiful things together. If you send me a resume that shows that you have 10 years of experience, but you're just out of college. Even within the listings themselves, they don't make sense. Uh, they don't make sense. Uh, if you look at, uh, I look at the, the listings for tech jobs all the time. Uh, and by and large for, you know, web management assistance or whatever, they expect someone that has a degree is between specific ages, and yet they have this ungodly amount of experience somehow that it would be impossible for them to have. Because we're looking to check those boxes off. And unfortunately, that bleeds backwards into the church. So now, as church members, even mentally in our head, we're checking off boxes of the qualities that we would like to see in our leaders. And as we sit in the pews and we listen to them talk to us, as we listen to uh, them teaching us, as we interact with them, we think to ourselves, is, that, is this pastor really for me? Is this the type of person that I would follow? Now, I just, you know... I just can't get behind that pastor. I'll just go to another church. And so, because they didn't meet the qualifications that we've checked off in our own heads, we have completely discounted any type of qualifications that they may have had. The problem is, is we don't all have the same standard. The problem is, is we're waiting for that person to check off every single box to be perfect as a leader. That's the way that we often think about it. That's the business model that we're given, and that's the biggest part of the problem that society has. Because we've lost our focus on God, we have built a society, mind you, that is very prosperous through God's grace. A society that is flourishing, but we're People judge themselves and their worthiness based on this checklist, this arbitrary checklist that they've spent literally hundreds of years trying to figure out the best model 
in order to be qualified to be your leaders. So as we think about those different job scenarios, we think about society, let's take a look at God's standard for his leaders. Let's take a look through what God's word has to say for the people that he chose to be leaders for him. So get your Bibles out. Let's take a look at some of these. And we'll do it kind of uh, as easy as possible. We'll start out in Genesis. And we will uh, we'll go through. So I want to start out in Genesis uh, chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9, verses uh, 20 and 21. We're going to talk about uh, Noah. So Genesis chapter... You're, you're familiar with Noah, right? He's that guy who built that big boat, right? Took all them animals in. Uh, he was the one that was found uh, to be faithful when the literal entire rest of the world uh, was, uh, was fooling around and, and playing with other gods. He was the only one faithful to God. So... This is the man that, uh, that God chose. Uh, so chapter 9, starting in verse 20. After the flood, Noah became a farmer and planter to vineyard. And then one day, he became drunk on wine and lay naked in his tent. Then Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. And then Shem and Japheth took a robe, held it over their shoulders, walked backwards into the tent, and covered their father's naked body. As they did this, they looked the other way, so they would not see him naked. And when Noah awoke from his drunken stupor, he learned that Ham, his youngest, had done, and he cursed the descendants of Canaan, the son of Ham. So this leader, this literal uh, savior of uh, humanity in this regard, who God chose because he was a man after his own heart, that continued to follow God when the rest of the world refused to follow God, not a perfect man. He's, he's a drunkard. He doesn't necessarily meet all of the qualifications that we understand them to be. Let's move ahead to uh, Genesis uh, 16. Genesis 16, and let's talk about Sarah. You guys remember Sarah? Sarah is Abraham's wife. She uh, followed him out of the land of Ur. She went with him everywhere that uh, God uh, directed Abraham to go. And there was a promise that was made, right? The promise was that Abraham would have, uh, he, he would be the father of, of many nations. He would be, uh, have descendants that were so plentiful, more than the sands and the beach and the uh, stars in the sky. But uh, at at a certain point, Sarah just became a little impatient with that. Uh, in chapter 16, starting in verse 1, But Sarai, Abram's wife, had no children. So she took her servant, an Egyptian woman named Hagar, and gave her to Abram so that she could bear his children. For the Lord has kept me from having any children, she said to Abram. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed. So Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened ten years after Abram first arrived in the land of Canaan. So Abram slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. And when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress with contempt. 
Then Sarah said to Abraham, it's all your fault. Now this servant of mine is pregnant, and she despises me, though I myself gave her the privilege of sleeping with you. The Lord will make you pay for doing this to me. And Abraham replied, since she is your servant, you may deal with her as you see fit. So she treated her harshly, and Hagar ran away. So just as God chose Abram, he also chose Sarah to be leaders. And we see her her great impatience with God. Impatience to the point of making a decision that has lasting effects even to this day. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis 27. In Genesis 27, we come upon Jacob. Jacob is also someone that God has called to be a leader. Jacob's name was later changed to Israel. And because of his sons and their names, that is how the 12 tribes of Israel uh, basically came about. Let's look at uh, chapter 27, verses 35 through 37. So Genesis 27, verse 35. But Isaac said, Your brother was here, and he tricked me. He carried away your blessing. And Esau said bitterly, No wonder his name is Jacob, for he has deceived me twice, first taking my birthright and now stealing my blessing. Oh, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? And Isaac said to Esau, I have made Jacob your master. And have declared that all his brothers will be his servants. I have guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine. What is there left to give? So we see another person that God has chosen to be a leader. In Jacob. Who has defined the beginning of his life as a deceiver. Let's continue on to Exodus. And no, we're not going book by book, I promise. Yeah, rest easy, Pastor Monty, it's okay. All right. I would like you to look at Exodus 4. So Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. We're going to take a look at Moses now. See, I've skipped a whole bunch of people. I'm already to Moses. So let's take a look at Moses and his life. You're familiar with Moses, of course. Right? I don't, do I need to explain who Moses is? Okay. I would be a little worried, but we're good. So Moses, chapter 4. Oh, Exodus, chapter 4. As we read about Moses. And uh, we're going to look at uh, verse 10 through 13. Uh, but Moses pleaded with the Lord. O oh Lord, I'm just not a good speaker. I have never been, and I am not now, even after you have spoken to me, I am clumsy with words. Who makes mouths? The Lord asked him. Who makes people so that they can speak or not speak, hear or not hear, see or not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go and do as I have told you. I will help you to speak well, and I will tell you what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord... Please send someone else. And then the Lord became angry with Moses and said, All right, what about your brother, Aaron, the Levite? He's a good speaker, and look, he is on, a way, on his way to meet you now, and when he sees you, he will be very glad. 
So Moses, chosen by God to lead his chosen people out of slavery in Egypt, couldn't speak well, was a stutterer. So God used him still and chose him, and he allowed Aaron, his brother, to work with him uh, because of Moses' repeated objections to that. Let's move ahead to the book of Numbers. And in the book of Numbers, let's uh, look at Numbers 12. Now, after Moses had led the, uh, the people out of Israel, uh, after a, a time of, of wandering the desert uh, with both his brother Aaron and uh, his sister Miriam, uh, Miriam and Aaron had a few complaints about Joseph, or about Moses. Man, I'm just tossing names out. Lord, I can't preach today because I don't speak well. So, chapter 12 of Numbers. While they were at Hazaroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he was married to a Cushite woman. They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. And now Moses was more humble than any other person on earth. So immediately the Lord calls Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to go out to the tabernacle, all three of you. And the three of them went out. And when the Lord descended on a pillar of a cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle, Aaron and Miriam, he called. They stepped forward and the Lord said to them, Now listen to me. Even with prophets, I, the Lord, communicate by visions and dreams. But that is not how I communicate with my servant Moses. He is entrusted with my entire house. I speak to him face to face directly and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. Should you not, or should you not be afraid to criticize him? The Lord was furious with them and he departed. And as the cloud moved away, Miriam suddenly became white as snow with leprosy. And when Aaron saw what had happened, he cried out to Moses, Oh, my Lord, please don't punish us for the sins that we have foolishly committed. Don't let her be like a stillborn baby already decayed at birth. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Heal her, O God, I beg you. Miriam, also called to leadership, also a bit of a gossip, a bit jealous of the power that Moses was showing because God has called him. Let's uh, turn to Jeremiah. No, the book of Jeremiah. And we'll look at Jeremiah 1. I don't know whose Bible this is, but they haven't visited Jeremiah very often. All right. So Jeremiah uh, chapter 1. These are the words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests from Anthanoth, a town in the land of Benjamin. The Lord, Lord first gave messages to Jeremiah during the 13th year of King Josiah's reign in Judah. He continued to give messages through the reign of Josiah's son, King Jehoiakim, pardon me, 
until the 11th hour of King Zedekiah's reign in Judah. In August of that year, the people of Jerusalem were taken away as captives. The Lord gave me a message, he said. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and anointed you as my spokesman to the world. O sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I am too young. Don't say that, the Lord replied, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and take care of you. I, the Lord, have spoken. And then the Lord touched my mouth and said, See, I have put my words in your mouth. Today I appointed you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. You are to uproot some and tear down, and tear them down, to destroy and overthrow. You are to build others up and to plant them. Jeremiah was too young to feel that he would meet the qualifications for leadership. But God told him, you are not too young. I have put my words in your mouth. And let's look at Jonah. You're all familiar with the story of Jonah? In fact, Colin shared some of the story of Jonah with us as well. In Jonah, we see uh, in verse 1, verse, uh, verse one of chapter 1, uh, through 3, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and announce my judgment against them. Because I have seen how wicked the people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction in order to get away from the Lord. He went down to the seacoast, to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket, went on board, hoping to get away from the west so he could escape the Lord. So Jonah, chosen by God to be a leader, he ran away. That didn't turn out too well for him. As we continue to look, as we get into Luke, we can see examples of uh, Martha in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, when Jesus comes to visit and is staying in her house, she is so worried about preparing a meal, she starts complaining against her sister who is sitting at Jesus' feet listening to what Jesus has to say. Uh, We can see, uh, even as we move into uh, the book of John, In chapter 20, uh, we can see Thomas, who even after hearing of the resurrection of Jesus, he refused to believe until he could touch his wounds to see his hands, touch his side. So I want you to take uh, just a minute and listen to this assessment of the apostles by the Jordan Management Consultants. Uh, This is who uh, Jesus had uh, contracted to help to determine the best people for the position of apostle. Uh, Dear Jesus, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests. Uh, We have not only run the results through our computer, but we have arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultants. It is the staff's opinion that most of the nominees are lacking in background, educational, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise that you are undertaking. 
Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew does not have qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, place personal interests above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and particularly Simon the Zealot, have radical leanings. They both registered a high score in the manic depressive scale. Uh, Thaddeus is uh, definitely sensitive, but he wants to make everyone happy, and that would be detrimental to your goals. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of ability, resourcefulness, he meets people well, has a keen business mind, has contacts in high places, he is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We highly recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All of the other profiles are self-explanatory. This is the type of process that we're used to on a regular basis. Because we do live and work in the secular world and we deal with a business design that has strayed from God as its focus, that's the type of thing that we would expect to see when we look at qualifications for leadership. But as we look through God's Word, we see that He doesn't choose the most qualified candidate. As Colin talked about, God calls people and then He makes them qualified. So today, as you sit here, as you think to yourself those questions I told you to be asking yourself, so I sure hope you were, what are the qualities you look for in a leader? What is the type of person and what is it about them that helps you to determine that you would follow them? The question becomes, what is your standard then? Is it arbitrary? Is it based off of your day-to-day interactions with people in the secular world? Is it crowded by thoughts and wisdom of men? Or is it informed by God's word? If you thought to yourself, am I a leader? And in that thought process of asking yourself if you're a leader, have you seriously considered what God's standards are for leadership? Have you taken into account the people that God calls? The stutterer, the deceiver, those that would run away, those that would doubt, those that lack experience because of their age, those that are too old, those that are impatient. God takes those people and he works miracles through them. So I have questions for you today. If you have been thinking about leadership, and I hope that all of you have given that some thought, my question for you is, what do you think would disqualify you from leadership? We spent time talking about deceivers, stutterers, those who were too young, those who would run away, those that would doubt, those that were impatient. What do you think would disqualify you from leadership? And my second question is, what qualifications do you think a leader should have.
Those are the two questions I have for you. Before we break, I would like to mention, because there are only two elders here, we will only be breaking into two cell groups like we did last week. So we will have one cell group here with Colin leading it in the back, and then I will be up in the development center. Uh, so if you were in Adam's cell group, uh, we will uh, put it on you to divide yourselves accordingly, and uh, we will go ahead and break for our cell groups. After our cell groups, we'll take about 20 uh, minutes for those. We'll come back together, and we'll start communion. So think on these questions, and let's do cell groups. <laughs>